Amen. We'd like to welcome everyone today. I see some new faces today. It's good to have all of our guests with us today, worshiping and celebrating with us. We're so glad you're here. Amen. Amen. Let's do a better job. Let's welcome our guests one more time today. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us during this holiday period. Amen. And if you are watching us this morning on theantioch.com, we welcome you this morning into our broadcast. We pray that you're blessed by what you see, hear, or feel. Real quickly, before we get started, uh, based off last week's message, and in case you don't know, uh, and you weren't here, last week I preached a message and we talked about where's Waldo. Uh, this uh, middle of the week... Uh, Brother Kevin uh, uh, Trader sent me an enlightened image. If we had the image, this was just wonderful. Waldo finds himself. So maybe that will be part two at one time if we get to uh, set up where's Waldo. The new one is uh, Waldo finds himself. So thank you, Brother Kevin, for giving me some material for down the road. Amen. Praise God. I know this is a very busy time of year. I know a lot of you, this has been, I don't know who, who sat down and made this week the way it was, this week with parties and everything celebrating, and you can't go 10 feet right now without being in traffic and people, and whew, my traffic meter and people meter is about broke right now. Uh, I figured if we don't have it by now, we're not getting it. If you can't order it online, don't go out in the store. It's just crazy. And I know a lot of you are stressed to the max and a lot of stuff going on and you're exhausted. And I respect that. And so today I'm not going to take very much of your time. I just want to share something with you, a thought maybe. Uh, you may not shake from the rafters. You may not fall out speaking in tongues. But just something maybe to ponder as you leave here this today and chew on this week. We'll start with a very familiar passage of Scripture for this time of year. Luke chapter 2. In verse number 1, it is a scripture that is read this year, this time of year, many, many times, recounting the story of the birth of Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up to Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that, he, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I want to just share this thought with you today for a few moments on this subject. Is it a wonderful life? Is it a wonderful life? God bless you. You may be seated. Some of us have this time of year, it's a tradition for some of us, to sit down on an evening that we have some time available and the kids are in bed and sit down and snuggle with our significant other and watch a good Christmas movie. 
There's a lot of good ones out there, and I'm not going to dare even start going down the list with, for a fear of offending someone. But one of the ones that's an ultimate classic is the one entitled, It's a Wonderful Life. If you've never seen it, it's a classic done back in the 40s. And the premise of It's a Wonderful Life is there's a man that uh, seemingly had a, a good life. Somewhere along the line, he, he started encountering some difficulties. And I'm not going to give away the story if you've never seen it. He encountered some difficulties. And in the, in the context of encountering these difficulties, he began to go on a journey with uh, Clarence. And I won't give away who Clarence is. I'm not really sure about the theology of It's a Wonderful Life, but the story is good. But Clarence helps him kind of see a different idea and a different perspective. And by the end of the movie, his life hadn't changed, but his perspective had changed. And I looked at that and kind of thought about that and, and, and looked at the context of most of us sitting in this room, we have been told that that if you come to God, or the idea nowadays is that if you come to God and you get saved, that somehow that entitles you to a life that is perfect. Somehow that entitles you that God now becomes your personal butler in every problem, every situation, every difficulty that you have or that you encounter, that God is going to be there and He's going to clean it up. And you'll never have a day of sickness. You'll never have a day of want. You'll never have a day of need. You'll never have a day that you cry. You'll never have a day of sadness that somehow in a magical moment of being saved and being redeemed, that somehow all of this is going to change and that you're going to have a this, this perfect, wonderful life. And most of us strive to have this wonderful life. We strive and we pray about in our prayer lists are filled with God fixing everything that we deem to be a problem in our life so that we can make our life a wonderful life. But I want for just for a moment for us to go back before we go forward and to go all the way back to the scripture we just read that took place some 2,000 years ago. And I want to flip the script for a moment. I want, instead of the story being written, I want to put the pen in your hand today. I want you to be the author of this story, and I want you to create your own storyline. And the premise of the story is you have to get a king and a savior to a people. And you've got to build a bridge. Now, if I'm going to write that story, I'm going to write it from the standpoint of what most of them that day believed the story would be written as. And that is, he's not going to be born in a in a stable, he's going to be born in a palace. Yeah, we look at the story now, and it's a good story, right? Born in the end, no room, and that cute little, little, little sheep, little, little cows, everything around him, just beautiful little picture of, of Jesus in the manger, and you drive by and you see it displayed in front of people's houses, and it's, it's a good heartwarming story. But let's be honest, if you're going to write a story, that's not really what you want to write it as if you're talking about a king. you're going to write the story, you're not going to write it as a king to come to say, not just a king, but the king of kings. <laughs> not just the heir to a throne to control a little bit of ground to, to set up his kingdom, but he was to be the king of kings. 
not just the Lord, but the Lord of Lords. If you're going to write the story of the King of Kings, most of us would write it from the standpoint, forget the end, let's build a palace. Forget the few shepherds in the field, let's create a banquet to celebrate the fact the king is here. Forget a few wise men that traveled for hundreds of miles seeking a star. Now all the nations will know that the king is here. That's how we would write it. And ultimately, if I was God and I came to this earth, I don't know if I had one shot of coming to this earth if I would have chosen the vehicle he chose. Because ultimately the vehicle chosen would be, I'm the king, I've come to save a people, I want the people to know I'm here. So I want my birth, my announcement of my kingship coming to this earth to be a glorious occasion. But yet, when Jesus writes this, when this is created and Jesus comes and it's written in into, into history, he comes to a stable. He couldn't even get a hotel room. He couldn't even get Motel 6. Forget the Hyatt. Forget the Marriott. Forget the Doubletree. The Country Inn. I mean, he got Motel 6. They didn't leave the light on for him. It was too full. Can you imagine that? And not only that, but... In the creation of the story, let's be honest, and we've talked about this, I know some of you have heard this a thousand times, but let's be honest, a pregnant woman on a donkey, great with child, every pregnant woman, that's ever, every woman that's ever been pregnant reads the story, you have a sympathy and an empathy with Mary that we can't have, because you know what that must have been like. And so you create this deal, and it, and it kind of strikes me the fact that, that if Jesus chose to come in that manner to fulfill the purpose of what he had come to accomplish, that says to me that the purpose of my life is greater than the comfort of my life. My purpose is greater than my comfort. My purpose is my greatest calling in my life, not my comfort. But we have made our comfort our greatest purpose. We have made our comfort our greatest pursuit in life. Get a better job, to get more money, to buy better things, so that we can have greater comfort. But when Jesus came to this earth to lay the foundation for the world and to lay the foundation for us to become Christ-like, He made His purpose greater than His comfort. Because in every person in here today, whether or not you believe this or not, you have a God-given purpose. I know that seems somewhat of a cliche. 
I know that sums of somewhat of a cliche and a little bit of hyperbole to say that God has a plan for your life. Just like nowadays you say to someone, Jesus loves you. And they look at you and go, okay, really? It's on bumper stickers. It's on, it's, it's on shirts. Jesus loves you. And a little bit of that has crept in the fact that when you tell somebody God has a plan and a purpose for your life, they look at you like, okay. But the fact of the matter is that in the creation of all of this, that God created each one of us with an individual purpose that only you can fulfill. Do you realize that if you don't fulfill your purpose, God doesn't put someone else in your place. He, he creates a new plan because only you can fulfill your purpose. We look at ourselves and go, well, you know what? If I don't do it, God will just put somebody else in my place because you know what? I'm not really a big deal. No, 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 no. You don't understand. God designed you for a purpose that was specifically designed for you and is unique and tailored to you. If you don't fulfill your purpose, God doesn't just say, let's call up somebody off the bench. Okay, let's put you in. You take you off the court. You're in. Take his place. No, no, no. God alters the plan because you didn't fulfill your purpose. That's how important you are to him that your purpose and the purpose he has put on your life. He made one purpose for your life and he broke the mold and he threw it away and he said, I'm not going to make another one. You're not someone that came off the Henry Ford assembly line where you just rolled off and you put a bolt here and a screw here and everybody got the same bolt and everybody got the same screw and everybody got the same tire and everybody got the same steering wheel. But when he looked at you, in fact, he was so, 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 so desperate to get across the uniqueness of each individual that he even put it to the fingertips of our hands, the uniqueness of each individual. It's all the way down into the fabric of our lives and our DNA that we are different. And I know some of us look at that and go, that's, that's cute, preacher. That's a cool little idea you got there. But to realize the creator, God himself created a purpose that's unique. So the question to us today is, is it a wonderful life? What's your definition of a wonderful life? Most of us, the definition of a wonderful life is all of our prayers being answered. No bills. No trauma. No family issues. The best looking husband, the most beautiful wife. The perfect kids that never act up. The job that not only are we the employee, we own the company. And this is the idea. This is a wonderful life. But can I tell you today that your wonderful life is not what you accomplish for yourself. But the wonderful life that you can have is the fact that you can fulfill the God-given purpose that God has in your life. Because let's be honest, when the Creator showed up to earth, and was born in an inn. He could have said, you know what? Ah, I'm tired of this, this living, this lowly living, this carpenter life. He could have walked up to the palace of any king and said, listen, you're out. Because the Bible says that God sets one king up and puts another down. So Jesus could have rolled up into a 
palace said, listen, I've been looking at your house. It looks good. I've been living over in this carpenter shed. I don't really like it anymore. You're out. I'm in. You got to go. He could have done that. I mean, they asked him to do it on the cross. Why don't you call down an army of angels? At any moment, he could have snapped his finger and could have changed his comfort level. But he said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I haven't come to spend my 33 years building an earthly kingdom of earthly goods to expend on myself, but I've come to produce an eternal destiny that will last forever. So my question today is, is it a wonderful life? But even greater than this, there's a difference between your best life and a perfect life. Because we look at our, our, our best life as being a perfect life. But I tell you today that living for God is the best life. But it's not the perfect life. Living for Jesus is the best life. But it may not be the perfect life because we still struggle. We still have bad days. We still have things that come up. We still have issues that we do. It's not the perfect life. But oh, where would I be today if Jesus would not have found me? So I'm here today not living the perfect life, but I'm here today living the best life. Because I could not imagine where I would be today if it wasn't for Jesus. I couldn't imagine where I would be today if he wouldn't have reached down in the muck and the mire of my sinful nature, picked me up, turned me around, put my feet on solid ground. So the idea today is, I'm not trying to live the perfect life, but I'm living the best life. And the problem is, here's the deal. Sometimes you look at your life compared to your neighbor's life. And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you here. I'm talking about your coworker, your neighbor, someone who is who, who may not be a believer. And you look at them and, and you look and sometimes you question, my life doesn't really seem that much better than their life. But you've got to understand, their life, they've hit the ceiling. We're living in the basement. It only can get better from here. Do you realize, folks, that in your lowest moment, that's as bad as it will ever get? Because he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. That word tribulation means pain, problem, pressure. In this world, you're going to have the low moments. In this world, you're going to find yourself sometimes collapsed by the calamity of life. Pushed down, oppressed, depressed. But be of good cheer. Because what? I have overcome the world. That means for you and I today, we have our bad days. We have our moments. We go through depression. We go through, and I'm not one that believes every time you go through depression, it's a spirit. Sometimes you just get depressed. Maybe that messes with your theology. Sometimes you're just depressed. But you know what? Even in your lowest moments, there's hope. There's hope. I've got hope that this is not a perfect life, but it's the best life. 
I've got hope today that this may not be. Brother Evans, you've lived for God for 30 years. It's not a perfect life, is it? 36 years, not a perfect life, but it's the best life. If you're a visitor here today, I don't promise you anything towards perfection. If you're a guest here today you, and, you, and you let the Lord live in your life, does not mean all of a sudden your life becomes a utopia. Look around. Give us a moment. We'll tell you how un utopia it is. That's not even a word, but it's good for right now. Hey, there's some stuff. Hey, we got some mess. We got issues. We got problems. But you know what? It is the best life. Because you know what? I'll say this, and you might disagree, but that's okay. I'm still right. There's not one person I've ever said that walked away from God that their life got better. Not one person. You might disagree with that. It's your privilege to be wrong on that one. There's not one person that I've ever seen walk away from God that their life got better. Oh, it may seem on the surface that everything is getting better because, you know, they smile a little bit more. and Oh, we're doing this and we're going over here. And you look at that and you go, wait, man, that's awesome. I want to do that. And all of a sudden you realize it's a mirage. It's a flicker in the desert. And when you get there and you realize, wait a minute, I was duped into this. I was duped in it. Why? Because it's not that life is perfect. And the most... The most flawed idea in our world today is that Christians are perfect. Because the thought that you, I mean, you've had this thrown up in your face. How can you do that? You're supposed to be a Christian. Sorry, I'll take my halo off for a moment and I'll put it back on. Because I'm not perfect. The only difference between you and me is I acknowledge my imperfection and I need somebody in my life that is perfect. It's not that I am perfect. It's the fact that he's perfect. He lives in me. And the idea is the more he lives in me, hopefully the less of you, you see. But every once in a while, I creep back into the picture. I'm not proud of that. But it's not the perfect life, but it's the best life. So I say to you today, is it a wonderful life? Because we're heading towards the end of the year. We're getting close to the clicking over of a new day. And all of us will spend the first two weeks of next year writing 2015, only to scratch it out and put 2016 because it's a new year. And something transpires. I've said this before. Biblically, our calendar really has no biblical basis. It's a different system that was used in the Bible. And so I don't know if God really gets excited because it's January 1st. I'm not really sure he gets excited. But somehow, in our psychology of our, of our modern day thinking, January 1st seems like a fresh start. It seems like an ability to put the past in the past and last year in the last year and we start off brand new. All of the gems in the area will be packed with people for the first two weeks of the year. You go to the gym right now, there's nobody. Only those that have been 
trudging through all year. You go January 1st, they're packed because everybody's going to change their life this year. And so maybe you're one of those people that when you sit down towards the end of this year, maybe next week, and you'll start to look, what do I want to do next year? What do I want to accomplish next year? Some of us have goals of getting healthier. Some of us have goals of reading this or doing that or going here or accomplishing that. But can I ask you to consider that in 2016 that you make it the year of purpose in your life? So that when you get to the end of 2016 and you look at 2017 and you you stop to ponder 2016, you don't look back with what you could have done, but you look back and you realize, I may not have had the perfect year, but I had the best year. And it won't be defined by what you did or what you accomplished naturally or if you got a raise or your, 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 your kids had a good year or your spouse had a good year or your parents had a good year. That's not the definition. The definition of it will be, did I fulfill the purpose that God had in my life? Because you know what the great part about it, and I close with this thought, the great part about fulfilling the purpose of God in your life is that God allows mistakes. There's some of you here today, if you make a mistake on your job, you're probably going to get fired. There's some mistakes that aren't aren't, aren't able to be overlooked. But you know what the part about it is? Is that in God's way of doing it, fulfilling His purpose, He allows for our human frailties. Because here's how God works, is the fact that here I am starting the end of 2015. I look at the end of 2016 and I'm saying at the end of that, I want to fulfill the purpose of God. I want to get to there. And, and, I, and I see the plan of God. Sometimes it's vague. Sometimes it seems to be somewhat blurry. But I know in my heart and my, in my deep down inside of my spirit, my soul, that God has a plan and purpose for my life. And I'm driven for that purpose. But in my frailty of humanity, I'm not always striving perfectly. But you know, the great thing is some of you've heard this before. So allow me to use it again. There are going to be days instead of stepping towards the purpose, I may step away from the purpose. I may step farther away and make mistakes and have my humanity, my flesh make it the best of me. But the great thing about God and how he operates is he doesn't say, okay, stop that. Now go back to the starting point and start over again and try again. That's the video game culture that we live in. If you mess up, hit the button, go back and start it over again and do it as many times as you can till you get it right. But that's not how God works. You don't have to go back to the beginning with God. Because you know what the Bible says? Is that when you step and you make a mistake and you step away from the purpose, set it toward the purpose and you, and you, you, you do, you, you make a mistake. He comes through with his blood and washes away the mistake. So that you don't backtrack from where you are. You start going forward from where you are. You don't go back to the mistake and say, well, let's try that over again. I got to go back. It's Wednesday. I messed up. I got to go back to Monday. No, no, no. His blood washes away the mistake, washes away the footprints of the air and plots a new course from where I am today. So some of you may say today, you don't know me, preacher. I've made too many mistakes. I want to fulfill the purpose of God, but I don't know if I can because I've strayed so far. I don't know how to go back to the start. Good news. You don't have to go back to the start. 
You can start right now because His grace, His mercy, and His blood that was shed on Calvary has the ability to come in our lives and wash away all of the mistakes and all of the errors instead of going back to the mistake. He says, just start from where you are right now. So instead of looking back and disqualifying ourselves because of what we have done, Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me and looking forward and pressing towards the mark that's in front of me. So instead of, instead of looking at what, why you can't get there, to notice that through his blood that you can do there. Because Paul said later, I can do all things. Everybody say all. What does that leave out? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. You know what that means is that if I'm failing, if I'm struggling, there's one problem. I'm trying to do it on my own. If if this life, if trying to live for God is hard work, I mean... Hard work. Coming to church is hard work. Living for God is hard work. That's one problem. I'm doing it. Because if he does it. Your greatest purpose, if you would stand with me today, I challenge you to this. You got 300, it's next year a leap year or is it 365? I can't remember. Some of you calendar experts... If not, it's 365 days next year. And each day, if you would do one simple thing, and that is wake up with the desire, Lord, whatever you have for me today, let me fulfill your purpose. Fulfilling the purpose of God does not revolve around the 52 days of the year that you go to church on a Sunday. Fulfilling the purpose of God is every day that you get up There's one desire, Lord, today I want to fulfill your purpose. So I can live not the perfect life, but I can live the best life. I know this was very simple today, and some of you have heard a lot of this before, but can I challenge you in the Holy Ghost today? Is it a wonderful life? Sometimes yeah, sometimes no. But it's the best life. And if you don't believe that, you're somewhere along the line, you've missed some revelation. Because when I compare myself to others, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a wonderful life. But when I look at Him, the Bible says the author and the finisher of my faith, I know this is the best life. Perfect? No. Easy sometimes? No. crossing your mind, you say, you know what? Why don't you just quit, give up? Oh, yeah. But it's the best life. The song says, I wouldn't trade you for silver or gold. I wouldn't trade you for riches untold. You are, you are my everything. Father, we thank you for being here today. We have celebrated the season that's upon us. We've laughed. We've smiled. We've sang together. But in this moment of celebration, let us not forget the fact that there is a purpose in our lives.
purpose is not to gain possessions, to have who has the most under their Christmas tree. But the purpose of life is to fulfill what you have called us to do. You said that you knew us even when we were in the womb. You called us. You had a purpose for us. I pray, Lord, today that you would give us each the grace to fulfill that purpose. And Lord, today, those of us in here that feel like we have made too many mistakes, that purpose has slipped out of our fingers because of our humanity. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh revelation of your blood and the cleansing and the healing and the forgiving power of your blood. That we can stand with our shoulders back, our head high, to know that even though we're not perfect, that you are in us and that makes us perfect. I pray, God, that you would give each one of us the grace and the strength to walk in the plan and the purpose that you have called for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak all these things. In the name of Jesus, praise God. Let me just say this real quick before you're dismissed. On behalf of my wife and I and Hope and Charity and Noah, to all of you, we want to wish you a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. And if I don't get the chance to shake your hand, it's, it's, it's a joy and pleasure to be with you on every, every Sunday. So on behalf of my wife and I and my beautiful three kids, we want to wish you and yours a safe... I know sometimes I say that, but today in this world, it's, it holds a different connotation. A safe and wonderful holiday season with your family. Why don't you take a moment before you leave, shake somebody's hand, greet them. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.